Well, it's hard to believe, but is week seven in our summer message series that I've been calling uh, Getting to Know Y'all. And so uh, if you have been with us uh, and, and following along, we've been uh, studying the names of God and, and all that they mean, how we can get to know the Lord through his names. And uh, last week we had a great week as Karen Barnhart shared her story of getting to know God. If you were not with us, I really want to encourage you to listen to that podcast on our website. Karen did a great job. We've been interspersing uh, the stories of members of our congregation, how they came to know God, along with teaching. Uh, And so it's really been a good summer. Terry Cassens shared several weeks ago, Karen last week. Next week, I'm going to be wrapping up the teaching part of this series by talking about the name of God, probably the most significant name of God, Yahweh. And that'll be next week. And then the week after that, Stan Dykstra will be sharing his story of how he got to know God. And so, so anyway, I thought we should start as we have started most of our, our uh, gatherings together with Psalm 150 in the Hebrew language. It says this, Neshema Halalyah. Good. It was loud, but not very many of you stood. Too many donuts holding you down. Something like that. In English, it says, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Good job. This week, I see lots of college students back to school, so uh, summer's coming to an end. Anybody else sad about that? Yes. All right. I won't make you depressed. All right. (laughs) We're going to talk about Elroy today. I want to start. How many of you can remember grade school volleyball? Not volleyball. Dodgeball. Not the same thing. Grade school dodgeball, can you remember? All right. How many of you in grade school, how many of you can remember dodgeball? You were dodgeball team captains. You were the jocks. You were the guys. All right. Um, I don't like any of you. How many of you... How many of you were the last one picked for dodgeball? All right. Yes. You and I are one in spirit. I was always the last one picked. I hated being the last one picked. And I think dodgeball was probably the thing I hated more than anything in grade school when it came to, you know, recess kind of sports. Because I wasn't good at throwing balls. And, uh, and dodgeball just terrified me. I mean, even seeing that picture just terrifies me. Uh, and, and, but the worst of it was, you know... Being, being the last one picked because you'd stand there just hoping that somebody would notice you. At any other time in my life, I was, I was always noticed because I was kind of a loud mouth and I was a big, large kid. Um, but dodgeball, it was like I was invisible. Nobody would, would, would pick me. And, and I can remember when the teachers would choose the team captains, you know, and I hated the team captains. In, in my fourth grade class, this is what one of the team captains looked like in fourth grade, all right? And... <laughs> He scared me to death. And, and it was against the rules to throw the ball in a person's face. But this guy always did it, you know? Any of you that were picked last, you know what I'm talking about, right? Um, those guys were mean. But do you, know, do you know the feeling, even if you were one of these guys, do you know the feeling of what it feels like to just be unseen? It feels like nobody notices you. It feels like nobody sees you your situation. And you might be one of those people, even today, that you feel like nobody sees you. 
Maybe you're a person that you would say life has dealt you a raw deal. You just feel like luck has not gone your way. Uh, I've been thinking about this lots the last couple of months, about how fortunate I was to be born in America as opposed to a very underprivileged country in the world. I was born into a family that raised me to know Jesus. That was such a blessing. Uh, and, And maybe you would say, along with me, you were very, very blessed, but many of you probably feel like fortune has not gone your way. Uh, life has just given you a raw deal. Some of you might feel today that uh, people have treated you terribly, terribly unfairly. And, and you just feel like people have robbed you of everything that you ever had. I was spending some time this week with somebody in our church family who lost her job. And, and she's been working and she was coming to the end of the period of probation and her employer came into her and she said, you know, you just don't fit in here. We're going to let you go. And her employer took her to her desk and watched her as she packed everything up like she was some kind of criminal. She hadn't done anything wrong. They didn't have any concrete reason why they were letting her go. They just fired her out, out of the blue. And, and you may be one of those people that just feels like people have treated you unfairly. It hasn't been right for you when it comes to relationships. Or you might feel like one of those people that you've made choices that have led to consequences that have been very painful and hard for you to bear. And you feel like God doesn't see you. Any of these scenarios could make you feel like you are unseen to the Lord. Have you ever been there? Uh, I felt as a child unseen by the volleyball captains. There have been times in my life also when I have prayed. I, I prayed with somebody this morning before church even started who said, I just feel like I pray and God doesn't hear. And you can probably relate to that, that sometimes you feel like God doesn't see you or God doesn't hear you. I want to introduce you today to a God by the name of El Roy, the God who sees. And I want us to start this morning in Genesis chapter 16. Genesis chapter 16, and and I want us to walk through the whole chapter. It's not all going to come up on the screen, but if you want to open your Bibles this morning, you might want to follow along. Uh, The first part of the story, I I thought for uh, purposes of memory, I would have it acted out this morning. So I've asked for some help from some very skilled actors in our congregation. So if those of you that got scripts, if you would come, please, and... uh, For the purposes of this, I am going to play the part of the director. And so... Yes, now, um, Dwight? Dwight is going to play the part of Abram. Would you give him a rousing round of applause? Dwight, you're going to want to speak into this microphone when you have a line, all right? And uh, Tracy, you are going to play the part of Sarai, Abram's wife. You can give her a rousing round of applause. I didn't even ask Tracy if she would participate. I just made her husband do it. Um, Kamiko is going to play the part of Hagar, Sarai's maidservant, all right? And that was a weak round of applause for Kamiko. She's a very talented actress. And Bruce is going to be our narrator, all right? As I said before, I will be the director. 
All right. And action. Now Sarai, Abraham's wife, had not been able to bear children for him, but she had an Egyptian servant named Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, The Lord has prevented me from having children. Go and sleep with my servant. Perhaps I can have children through her. And Abraham agreed with Sarai's proposal. (laughs) Abram. I'm afraid Abram is a dirty old man. I was not typecasting. (laughs) And action! So Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian servant, and gave her to Abram as a wife. And the script says, Abram looks very eager. (laughs) Abram is suddenly very shy. So Abram slept with Hagar, and she became pregnant. Now, this is a family show, so um, there will be no action here. In fact, Hagar, you better just go back over there, all right? And, And action once again, please. But when Hagar knew she was pregnant, she began to treat her mistress, Sarai, with contempt. Hey, ma'am, I have a baby, and you don't. Take that. (laughs) This is all your fault. I put my servant into your arms, but now that she's pregnant, she treats me with contempt. The Lord will show you who's wrong, me or you. Look, she's your servant. So deal with her as you see fit. (laughs) Then Sarai treated Hagar so harshly We need harsh treatment. (laughs) That she finally ran away. All right, would you give our actors a rousing round of applause? Do I have hat hair? Michelle said, what hair? Oh, man. I don't know if I can resume. So you get the picture. You understand what's happening in the story, right? Uh, Abram and Sarah hatched this plan. God had promised them children, but Sarah wasn't able to get pregnant. Uh, So they hatched this plan that they would find a way to come up with an heir. Not a good idea. Now I want to read the story, picking up at verse 7. In, in Genesis, are we in 16? Yes, Genesis 16. Here's what it says, starting at verse 7. The angel of the Lord found Hagar beside a spring of water. She ran away, you understand. And he found her by a spring of water in the wilderness. And the angel said to her, Hagar, Sarai's servant, where have you come from and where are you going? And I want you to paint the picture in your mind. This is an angel of the Lord, the Bible says, appearing to this servant girl who's now pregnant. 
And verse 9 says, The angel said to her, Return to your mistress and submit to her authority. And then the angel added, I will give you more descendants than you can count. And the angel also said, Now look at this. You are now pregnant and you will give birth to a son. You are to name him Ishmael, which means God hears. For the Lord has heard your cry of distress. Then the angel goes on to say, This son of yours will be a wild man, as untamed as a wild donkey. He will raise his fists against everyone, and everyone will be against him. He will live in open hostility against all his relatives. Not really good news. But then I want you to see this next verse, verse 13. Thereafter, Hagar, this pregnant servant girl, used another name to refer to the Lord who had spoken to her. Now, did you get a mental image of this picture? It said it was an angel of the Lord, but now we see it wasn't just an angel. This was the Lord who had actually appeared to her. And Hagar used another name to refer to him, and she said, You are El Roy, the God who sees me. You are El Roy, the God who sees me. If you're taking notes this morning, you can write this on your, on your uh, note card that was on your chair. El Roy is just a very simple Hebrew name. El means God. And Roy is a verb that means he sees. The God who sees. Now, let me tell you a few things about Hagar. Kamiko played her very, very well. But she wasn't a white woman with curly hair. All right? Hagar was a woman who had been given a raw deal by life. Abram and Sarai were both people that had been born into great wealth, and they were very successful in their life. Hagar had been born into slavery, and life had really given her a raw deal. And then to make matters worse, she was mistreated by her master and her mistress, these people that employed her, although she was a slave, even slave, Slaves should have had some sort of rights. But Abram and Sarai came up with this plan that Abram should sleep with the servant girl. It's never been acceptable in any society that household servants become sex slaves. But that's what Hagar became. Some of the most humiliating abuse that a woman would ever have to endure was inflicted on Hagar so that Abram could somehow have a child. His ego was driving him to have a child, and he resorted to literally sexual slavery. But on top of all of that, a raw deal of life, mistreatment by her employers. She had also made poor choices herself. You know, uh, I, I don't really know how powerless she was, but perhaps she could have said no to this stupid idea to have an, uh, a child with Abram. Uh, She certainly did not have to taunt Sarai and make fun of her for being barren while she had gotten pregnant by her mistress's husband. She just made some stupid choices and she found herself alone in the desert with no one to care for her, no one to provide for the son that that was coming. And this was a woman who really had nothing going for her. And there in the desert, sitting by a spring of water, Probably no food, no money. She just had water. There she encountered Elroy. 
and she discovered that Elroy saw her situation. This is what we can learn from this today, and this is the point that I want you to get. Elroy sees your situation. The God who sees, sees you. Whether life has dealt you a raw deal, or, or whether you've been mistreated by people, or your own choices have just caused you to suffer, God sees your situation. A couple of weeks ago, I talked about uh, the God who transcends time. Do you remember this, if you were with us? The God that transcends time. And towards the end of that message, I, I encourage you to spend some time that week Uh, meditating on those things in nature that are infinite, like space that just goes on and on and on, or or molecules that you can just break down smaller and smaller and smaller, and and they're infinitely small. The design of this universe illustrates the the infinity that God uh, embodies. And this week as I was was thinking about the God who sees, I came across uh, this image uh, that the Hubble telescope has recently discovered and it's called a helix nebula. It's a, it's, a, it's a heavenly body that has never been seen before, but the Hubble telescope got this image of this heavenly body, and, and people have marveled at the fact that it looks like the eye of God. And I don't want to over-spiritualize things, but I think in many ways, nature reflects who God is. And this beautiful, beautiful star, this nebula, whatever it is, I'm not an astronomer, but this beautiful nebula, I think, can speak to us that even as we search space, we can be reminded that God sees. And whatever it is that you are going through or have experienced in your life, I want you to know God sees your situation. Hagar experienced Elroy, the God who sees. Here's what Psalm 33 says. But the Lord watches over those who fear him. The Lord watches over those who fear him. Psalm 139 says, O Lord, you have examined my heart and you know everything about me. You know when I sit down or I stand up. You know my every thought when I'm far away. You chart the path ahead of me and tell me where to stop and rest. Every moment, you know where I am. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it, oh Lord. Do you feel like no one sees you? Do you feel like nobody knows what you're going through? The Bible shows us very clearly. Even space shows us that God sees your situation. He really does. I want to take you now to the New Testament, uh, Romans chapter 8. One of my favorite passages in the whole Bible, Romans chapter 8. And the last part of this chapter also uh, helps us to understand that God sees us in really profound ways. The name Elroy is only used in that one passage in the Old Testament where Hagar, the slave, called God Elroy. But throughout the scriptures, Old Testament and New, we see that God is watching us. God sees us. And uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 28 says this, a powerful promise that if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you've probably heard. It says, all things work together for good. Have you heard that before? Would you just say that out loud with me? All things work together for good. If, If you've been given a raw deal, if people have mistreated you, if your choices have caused you to suffer, 
You may not feel like things are going to work together for good. You might look at the future and say things are bleak. But this promise from the Bible says, say it out loud with me again, all things work together for good. Romans 8.28. And the surrounding verses tell us why we can know that this is true. These aren't all going to be up on the screen, so you can turn to Romans 8 if you want to follow along. The first thing we see in Romans chapter 8 that guarantees this promise that all things work together for good is the fact that God the Father is in control of all things. God the Father is in control of all things. If you've got your Bibles open, take a look at verses 29 through 32 of Romans chapter 8. It says this. If you don't have your Bibles open, you'll have to listen carefully. It says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Now, I want to illustrate this a little bit because there's a lot of technical language that can just get lost in words. So I want you to see this. The first word that the writer of Romans 8 uses is that God foreknew. He foreknew. Anybody know what that means? He knew ahead of time what was going to happen, right? And, and because God is Elroy, the God who sees, God knows every choice you and I are going to make. He knows it ahead of time. And God's foreknowledge is so powerful that he even knows whether or not you will say yes to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Those of us who have said yes to Jesus, I want to exchange my sin for your sacrifice. I want to be renewed and I want to live uh, a, a new life to please the Lord. God knows ahead of time whether or not we're even going to say yes. Then the next word that the author uses is the word predestined. Now this is a word that sometimes people get a little worked up about, but it says very clearly what we are predestined for. What does it say if you've got your Bible open? Predestined to be conformed to the image of Jesus. And so God knows those of us who are going to say yes to Jesus, and then he predestines us, meaning he fixes it in time, that we will become more and more like Jesus. So if you have said yes to Jesus, I have good news for you. You may be struggling. You may have fallen to temptation. You have made terrible mistakes in your life. Or maybe things in your life have just gotten out of control and you feel like nobody knows. I want you to know, God has predestined you to become like Jesus. And it's no longer your responsibility. It's his work in you that's going to make you like Jesus. And then the next thing that happens in the way God works is he called us. Right? He called us. Meaning he sent out the invitation. So that we could hear about Jesus and we could, we could come to him, right? And then after he called us, what happens next? He justified us. That word justified, you can write this down if you don't know the definition of justified. I like this definition. Justified means you're forgiven. 
but a, a little way you can remember it is it means just as if I'd never sinned. Just as if I'd never sinned. So once God calls you, he forgives you, and he cleans you up so much that you don't even have a trace of all that stuff that you did that offended God in the first, time, in the first place. It's just like you're a brand new baby who's never done anything wrong. And then after he justifies you, what's he do? He glorifies you. And this is a progression. He foreknew you. He predestined you to become like Jesus. He called you. He justified you as if you'd never sinned. And then uh, in the future, we are going to be glorified. Meaning when we are in heaven with the Lord, we are going to have glorified, beautiful, perfect bodies. Talked about that a couple of weeks ago, what that means and what it might not mean. Then the author goes on to say, now listen to this carefully. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for us, who can be against us? He's in charge. He's in control of all things. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? You see, we can trust that all things work together for good because God the Father is in control. Okay, that's number one. Here's number two. We can trust that all things work together for good because the Holy Spirit intercedes for us. Now this is powerful and you may have never ever heard this before. Verses 26 and 27 says, likewise, the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us, look at this, with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. The Holy Spirit, can you imagine this? The Holy Spirit is praying for you and he's praying for me. Many Bible scholars believe that these two verses actually refer to the practice of speaking in tongues, praying in a prayer language that we've never heard. And uh, Terry Cassens talked about that when she shared. And last week, Karen talked about that experience in, in, in her uh, story. And, and it's something that is very precious and very powerful in the lives of us that have experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues. This last week, I was sitting in my prayer chair at home, and, and, uh, and I just didn't have words. And I was so comforted to know that I could pray in this supernatural prayer language and know that the Spirit was interceding. This is what it says. Interceding for us with groans too deep for words. This morning there were probably 15 of us over here in the chair room, prayer room, before any of you all got here. And we were praying. And there was a very deep sense of the Spirit of the Lord in that place. And, and again, I didn't have words so I just began praying in this spiritual language that the, the Spirit prompts. And I knew that the Spirit was giving voice to words that I could not utter, that I could not articulate. And we can know that all things work together for good because the Spirit is praying for us. And whether or not you've experienced what I'm describing, you can know that the Spirit is interceding for you as well. Here's the third thing that helps us know that all things work together for good. It's because Jesus 
is also interceding for believers. Man, this is powerful. Verse 34 says, Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, he's the one who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who is interceding for us. I looked up the word interceding in the dictionary this week, and it's it's kind of a fancy word. It's not a word that we use very often, but it's kind of a legal word. And it means like a lawyer who is making a plea on behalf of his client. That's, that's kind of what interceding means. And so when we say that the Holy Spirit intercedes for us, when we say that Jesus intercedes for us, they're standing in our place speaking to the Father about us. Now, when you know that the Father's in control of everything, because he's foreknown and he's predestined, he's called, he's justified, he's going to glorify us, when you know that that's the control of the Father and you know that the Holy Spirit is standing in our place making uh, uh, pleas on behalf of us and Jesus is standing there speaking to the Father on our behalf, do you know how confident we can be that all things will work together for good? All things work together for good. Say it with me, will you? All things work together for good because El Roy is the God who sees. One more thing that I want you to see from Romans chapter 8. The end of the chapter says, Nothing has the power to separate us from the love of Christ. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? You could probably put in your own situation in there. Hagar would have said, uh, can misfortune separate me from Elroy? Can mistreatment from my slave owners separate me from Elroy? Can my own bad choices separate me? What would you substitute in there? The author answers and says, No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, things present or things to come, or powers, or height, or depth, or anything else in creation shall be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's a powerful promise for you this morning. It's a powerful promise for me. And I want you to know today, God sees your situation. God sees your situation, and he will work it all together for good. Let me wrap up this morning with this. What do you do with this information? It's good to encourage ourselves with the fact that God's name is El Roy, that he sees us. How can we apply this to our lives? Let me give you three suggestions, things to do this week to make this real in your life. Number one is this. I want to encourage you to meditate on those verses from Romans chapter 8 this week. What does it mean to meditate? Well, it means open up your Bible Read them, maybe memorize some of the ones that are most significant for you. Sit quietly and just think about them. Immerse yourself in this scripture. The Bible says that that all scripture is God-breathed. These are God's words to you. And if you will fill your mind and your spirit with these words, it will transform the way you think and it will transform the way you live. 
So I want to encourage you to meditate on these verses this week. And then secondly, tell God about your situation. I don't know if you're like me, but sometimes I get discouraged. And, and I feel like God doesn't see. I feel like he's not hearing my prayers. I get impatient. I forget that God is never late, but he's seldom early. I have to tell myself that all the time. And, and so I, I, forget to, I, I stop talking to him. Do you ever do that? And, and I'm kind of ashamed to tell you that. I, I'm a pastor. I'm supposed to be kind of leading the way, right? But sometimes I get discouraged and I stop talking about him. One of the things I like about Hagar is she was, she was talking to Elroy. And even though her life was a mess at that moment, God came, looked like an angel, but God revealed himself to her in the most powerful way. And, and I want to encourage you to tell God about your situation. Don't shut him out because you're frustrated or you're angry or you're hurt. Talk to him about your situation. And then the last one, it's kind of been a theme of this message series. Rest in the care of Elroy. One of the verses that we've heard so often the last several weeks is those that wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. They'll mount up on wings like eagles, right? They'll run and they won't grow weary. They will walk and they won't faint. You can trust Elroy to see you and to work everything out for your good in your life. That was a good place to say a loud amen. amen. Thank you. Come on, Vic and, and band guys. Would you put your things aside? We'll pray in just a moment, but let's stand together, and uh, I want us to sing. God sees your situation. What is it in your life that you need him to see and hear and care about? As we sing, join with Vic and uh, begin casting your cares on him this morning.